a somber solo cello piece. A rock masterpiece that is far too often overlooked. And an acoustic song about the great unknown. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. Hey folks, on this, the latest edition of Themes and Variation, we are breaking down songs that defined an experience. We've got a couple of tracks that define experiences in our own lives, and another track that truly defines an experience that if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't experienced yet. And joining me for this deep dive is, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and artist, producer, and saxophonist, Jesse Lee. Jessie is a graduate of both Berklee College of Music and the Manhattan School of Music. She has performed and recorded with a variety of artists, including The Love Experiment, Broken Luxury, Ada Leah, and many more, as well as releasing her own music, most notably her Deep Rest EP and Eternity EP. And as we get into on this episode, Jessie's also picked up a ton of awesome hobbies. She's an incredible fiber artist doing embroidery, macrame, and crochet. She even showed some of the work she's been doing with embroidery to Mahay and I during the taping of this podcast. It's so, so dope. So be on the lookout for more awesome artwork and embroidery from Jessie. And speaking of learning new things, if you're looking to level up your musical skill set, you know you need to head to soundfly.com. We've got you covered with courses on production, mixing, arranging, composition, songwriting, and more from artists like Kimbra, RJD2, Kiefer, and Jay Lynn. We've also got a very, very exciting new course dropping in just a few weeks, and we'll have much more on that soon. But in the meantime, head to soundfly.com and use the discount code themes to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. Well, that's enough out of me. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Songs that defined an experience. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Of course, joining me today, Mahaley. Mahaya, how are you doing? Folks want to know how you're doing. Hmm. Yeah, I'm doing well, Carter. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great because we have the one and only Jesse Lee in the house joining us on this episode. Jesse, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me as your third Lee. I yeah, the lead say. cast today. I this is make awesome. Jokes yeah. About you guys being cousins, but it's audio and people won't realize that's probably not the case. Yeah, it's a lead cast, and that's not just the only theme we have for today's episode. We're also talking about songs that defined an experience. And Jesse, you came right out the gate, like right away with like I have all these themes that I'd like to do, and this is one that just like seemed like such an awesome one to do. What kind of made you think about uh, this theme for for this episode? You know, I don't know what it was exactly but I sort of just had like a little brainstorm and I like Mm, threw down a bunch of ideas. And I think when it came to this one, I sort of wrote it and then forgot about it. And then we kind of (laughs) had a chat and we're like, yeah, let's do this one. And then I was like, oh, oh no, this (laughs) is really hard. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this this theme ended up being harder than I expected it to be. I I had to start by looking up the word define, which felt like a very meta experience. (laughs) Because I was like, Okay, but what does it mean for something to actually define something, you know? Um, And I I made sure that I was okay with my various interpretations of the theme. Um, 
it eventually landed on what I did, but I I considered Purple Haze because I, you know, like right Very away, I was like, nose, oh, that's yep. the song that defines the Jimi Hendrix experience to me. <laughs> um, but but that seemed like a that seemed silly. And then I also thought about graduation. I know Jesse, you said that was one of that you was had. one of yours. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. right. I just feel removed from it though. Like I, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Jesse, what were some of the tracks that uh, you considered for this episode? <laughs> Nemesis by Aaron Parks. Yeah. Off of his record, Invisible <laughs> yeah. Cinema. Yeah. That was, that came out in 2008. And that was when I was a senior in high school going into my first semester at Berkeley. And everybody was like, yeah, wow, he's like so cool and moody and gritty. Which is and he's true. Which is all true still. Yeah. Like, that, that track. And then you had <laughs> Yeah. Then you had the other kids who were like, Well Brad Meldow was doing yeah. video head True. And you know, it's just jazz kids being jazz kids and it, it was it was amazing. And another I, yeah. thing is that I later on in my mid twenties ended up working at the village vanguard for a couple of years as a waiter and like you know i would see him play all the time you know in the city and i was living in new york and you just get to see these people who you like everybody keeps bringing out that term parasocial right mm. like that parasocial relationship and i was like oh this i can see this guy's career like you know yeah, yeah. in real time <laughs> um so then after that um i guess um i'm a saxophonist but i've kind of stepped away from the jazz scene kind of like you Mahea, i had this realization that i kind of needed to not do that in my life anymore but (laughs) i think every saxophonist um across the board no matter like what genre or which saxophone they play they've always said that um hank mobley's soul station is like a record that everybody Mm. just loves and literally every saxophonist i know has learned the solos to remember and this Mm -hmm. i dig a few And then, um, oh man, I have way too many choices. You had a whole lot. My last yeah. one yeah, yeah. is when like, I I shifted from jazz more towards like the hip hop R and B scene, and that was kind of a slow, uh, a gradual process. But throughout that whole time, the one anthem that my friends and I just continually listened to again and again, whether it was like parties or road trips or like, oh, should we cover this song? Yeah, let's play it at the show. <laughs> is my boo by Ghost Town DJs. Why don't we listen to some music? Let's get into our our first selection of the day. Happens to be my pick. Um, And it doesn't sound at all like anything that we've been talking about. So So was I.
We are listening to the prelude uh, from Cello Suite Number Two, Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, yeah, different choice yeah, for sure. But wow. just to get some some facts about the track out there, this is the Yo-Yo Ma recording, of course. There are six cello suites. Everybody probably knows the first one in G major. Personal favorite is maybe number five uh, in C minor. I got really into the cello suites as a bass player, and I'll get a little bit more into that later, but I remember my mom recognized that I was kind of doing that a little bit. And she bought me this book that was all about like the history of the cello suites and like how they were written. And it's like kind of even got some, it's not as dry as you might think. It also involves Pablo Casals, <laughs> like during the, the uh, Spanish civil war and like how he like resurrected some of these cello suites. It's mm. an incredible read. And I highly recommend uh, the book is called uh, the cello suites, JS Bach and Pablo Casals by Eric Siblin. I remember this Sweet though, when he talks about sweet number two, Bach's wife, his first wife, died after just 13 years of marriage while Bach was traveling. So he had left his hometown of uh, Cothen and he was accompanying uh, Prince Leopold of Carlsbad, which was his job, you know, just to be his musician, basically. When he returned two months later, he found out that his wife, uh, Maria Barbara Bach, had suddenly died and been buried before he could even say goodbye. This piece was written in that period that he returned from. So it's very somber, very sad mm. piece and is very much written in response to his wife's passing. So that kind of sets the the framing of, of the piece. Um, one, one thing that I learned, because, you know, just in a little bit of research on this track, I had no idea what this was or, or what this meant. But uh, this track has a, or sorry, this piece has a very heavy second beat. Obviously, you can hear that. Um, but that's known as an agogic accent. I didn't know that. Maybe you guys already did know that. Um, maybe you had heard that term before. Maybe in the back of my mind from like orchestration days. And it's a very slow 3-4, this prelude. So what you hear is, um, maybe what you hear is quarter notes is actually eighth notes. And then what you hear is eighth notes is actually 16th. So if we listen just to the beginning, it's like two, three, one, two, three, one, two. So like dynamically and, and the way that's performed, that there's like a, a little bit more of an emphasis placed on the second beat. Why I picked this track? Uh, for the experience. This was an experience in, in my life. Six months after getting into my first music program at Grant McEwen University in, up in Edmonton, Alberta, I, uh, I had to do a scale jury. They're called proficiencies at Berkeley, I believe. The ones at Berkeley were pretty easy, uh, yeah. I will say. The ones at McEwen were brutally hard, very hard. I remember the whole first semester as I'm preparing, you had to learn to play arpeggios. You had to learn to play all your modes. This is all brand new to me, by the way. You had to sight read uh, on, you know, on my instrument, the electric bass, and you had to play a classical piece. And this was the piece I chose for my, my first scale jury ever. I couldn't read a note when I got to McEwen and started playing. I had no ability on the instrument. So I had to learn how to do all this stuff in about three months and the story always from the upperclassmen at, at McEwen was like, if you do bad on your skill jury, you're kicked out of school. Like, you're just done. You can't, that wasn't the case, but 
that's <laughs> what I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, all that pressure. <laughs> yeah. How many yeah, people did you have to do yours in front of? Because I don't so see this, you did it in front of the whole, like, the staff. It was like 12 people. That sounds pretty intimidating. I had is two. Is that what yours was? I had two. two. Okay. So I had still more than Berkeley, right? I had the one. Yeah, well, I had two at Berkeley, no, I think. I think. Was, I think was it two? Yeah. Oh, okay, I, I then one of mine two. was checked out some of the time. That's, that's the, all the most of it. <laughs> well, I had, I had two. One of them was Ray Barry, the head of the wind department, who I later became very intimidated by, and that's a story for another time. Um, John <laughs> Taylor, though, was the other. He was the head of the base department. And John, I owe so much of my life to. He was the most inspiring musician I think I've ever met. He plays in the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, which is an incredible orchestra, truly. Mm-hmm. And he would also just be playing around all these jazz clubs. He was so unbelievably good at, at bass. And and I was really bad at the time. And he just kept <laughs> encouraging me. I was working really hard. I think I was on the right path. I think he knew that. So it's me in front of Ray and John. And first thing you do is you got to play your, your modes. And it wasn't just play your G Mixolydian or Mixolydian. It was play your G Mixolydian from the lowest available note on the E string to the highest available note on the G string. So like for me, I, I was not good at this and I worked so hard to be able to go like open E would be my lowest note because it's the sixth degree and you could get all the way up on a four string bass to uh, the 19th fret on the G string, which would be a D. Um, so like it, it's, this is all so boring and dry, but it's also, <laughs> it was so hard. And then at the end of your scale, Jerry, you play your piece. This is a four minute long piece that I shedded every single day for three months, like hours on end. And it's terrifying. That sounds so brutal. I have to be honest. And say that just like sounds like the worst. Oh my God. Like it's like every person's nightmare, right? They're naked in front of pretty much before. felt like that. Yeah. <laughs> I got a wealth of really awesome things though, from, from learning this piece as a bass player. The first thing I got out of it was developing tone for Mm. sure Mm, practicing it unplugged just what do your fingers the strings and the wood sound like and can you make it sing close enough to the cello can you kind of get close to that sound and you know whatever your instrument if it's a stringed instrument or not um i think diving into the cello suites there's definitely something that that awaits anybody that that, something very valuable that awaits anybody that kind of goes through that process just another thing that i i got i think out of out of learning this piece was to think about my instrument differently uh, yeah. cellos mm-hmm. tuned in fifths so and the bass is tuned in fourths and that's not that big of a deal until there's these chords at the end of the piece On a four string, it it's really challenging. You kind of have to incorporate and find other, like both hands on the fretboard, which can sound super cheesy, but like find ways to make it sound beautiful like it is uh, and a really great uh, performance of this piece on an electric bass. I think that can be pretty challenging. To, to me, speaking of challenges, the most challenging part was right around 1.30, which I'd like to play for you guys right now. Thank you. 
lines themselves aren't like crazy and, and at breakneck speed or anything, but there's an energy and an emotion in it that you have to carry through the whole piece. You're a minute 30 in, you've got another three minutes to go and it's <laughs> yeah. just you in the room by yourself playing this stuff. That staying focused and staying in that for that long of time, I don't think I could do that now. I would get distracted immediately. I would get through three bars. I tried to play this last night. I got through like, I got through like twelve bars. As far as like, well, what's going on in the the hockey game right now? I gotta check it out. Like, it's insane. It's interesting too to me the way that Bach writes for string instruments is in some ways really different from how he writes for the keyboard, right? Because the thing people forget about Bach is he was never writing for the piano. In fact, he like he hated the piano and didn't. Yeah, he thought it was going to be a fad. But like like the harpsichord didn't have the kind of sustain and dynamics that are available on a cello. So like something like this feels so much more expressive to me yeah. than any Bach piano piece. Um, yeah, I was just curious how much of that was that interpretation was throughout the piece and how much of it's written. Yeah. Interesting. My second question for you, Carter. If you'll indulge me. Um, there's so many people who say that cello and bass are logical. Like if you play one, you should logically try the other. But given like the tuning's different and stuff, mm -hmm. why do you think that is? If you're talking acoustic electric, or not acoustic electric, acoustic bass <laughs> and contrabass, then then yeah, they're they're fairly similar. They they often play the same things in, in orchestras right. and stuff. So or like I think a quartet where there sense. is no bass, right? Yep. So yeah. maybe the okay. I just play some more roles. A player. <laughs> yeah, but I. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious also because since you're adapting for electric bass, right? Like yeah. there's different like muting techniques and totally. yeah, so I have to keep into in mind. The, there, yeah, electric with like sympathetic um, tones, meaning like you can play a fretted note and you can like another note is going to ring out on another string. You don't have any control over that. You do with your muting on your right hand but it, and, and left hand, and it's just like a delicate balance of how to make both those things work in a way that's literally not just muting all of the strings so everything mm -hmm. sounds damp and, and dull. Yeah. So, or um, even like sustaining a note with a, yeah. with a bow, you know, like you have so much more control over dynamics. You do, or <laughs> how to get that moah kind of sound uh -huh. out of a note too is uh, certainly playing a fretless bass helps but there are things you can you can do and it, it, honestly the thing you can do is while transcribe <laughs> i think honestly just <laughs> honestly just play the piece play along with the recording and and subconsciously you're working on on that like in trying to get not just i've seen a lot of bass performances of of these suites or any bach or classical stuff and it's people just shredding it and like playing it super quick and that's fine you're missing something when you do that. I think you're you're not getting the all the benefits of learning a piece like this. So, all right, Jesse, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? This is called Nice Dream by Radiohead. Oh, man, I love this song so awesome much. Awesome <laughs> pick. On this record, too, like I think of Iron Lung, um, High and Dry, Fake Plastic Trees. And then this, mm -hmm. this track, I'm like, oh, that's right. It's so good. It's so good. And, and I would say probably a little underrated yeah. uh, in the Radiohead catalog. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think, um, well, okay, one of the reasons why I chose this song is also because I think most people have their Radiohead phase 
right? Yeah, oh, yeah. They're like, yeah. oh, Radiohead gods, you know? <laughs> and I definitely had that. Like, my first kind of Radiohead phase was when I was in college. My favorite records were like Kid A and OK Computer. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the grand scheme of things, like, I think my favorite Radiohead records are OK Computer and The Benz. I sort of shifted more towards The Benz in my later in my later years because now i'm (laughs) old 32 um but yeah it's funny to think about like how i interpret this band when i was in my early 20s versus now my early 30s yeah um it's also really like you're gonna think i'm so lame for this but the first time i actually like really heard this song in context was in an episode of how i met your mother (laughs) oh yeah Yeah, I, i think i remember it actually yeah i don't i don't remember exactly what happens but i just remember being like is this Radiohead? Yeah. Oh, this is so good. Why do I not know this? And I was just like, oh, because I hadn't listened to it in so long, right? I, I think the Benz kind of gets forgotten sometimes because it was yeah. sort of yeah. like right before OK Computer, you know, kind of like that solid Radiohead sound that happened for a really long uh-huh. time. I didn't go through like a very deep, thorough analysis of this track as we did with the I mean, talk. there's a lot to break down, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the things that I love about this song It's really accessible, yet still kind of not your typical harmony. There's a lot of elements that feel like lush with like some of the orchestral parts that come in later on, like the strings. Yeah. And then at the end, they do that, you know, very like Radiohead rocking out, you know, like. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of has all the things that I love about Radiohead all Uh in this kind of like, I don't even know if I'd call it like a B-side track, but, you know, like a lesser known or like lesser beloved Radiohead track. I'm curious, you mentioned your interpretation changed over over the years. Do you mind, like, how do you think that's changed from when you first got into Radiohead to, to now? I think when I first got into it, it sort of reminds me of, like, the conversation we had about Nemesis with Aaron Parks, right? <laughs> it was yeah. like, there's this certain, like, hype around Radiohead that you kind of can't ignore. And, I mean, right. obviously, I think that they're also very aware of it, too, like, you know, themselves as an entity and as a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then collectively, mm-hmm. as music nerds, we're just like, oh, yeah, Radiohead's so freaking awesome. <laughs> so I think part of it was like, yeah, you know, Kid A's so cool. Like, you know, all those like synths and like the buildup of the tracks and like the little robotic voices and stuff. <laughs> but then I, I think I started to to feel more the emotional quality of Radiohead mm. in my early 20s. I like mm-hmm. went through a lot of crazy stuff and kid a was this one record that i for some reason just like had in the car all the time mm-hmm. you remember how we used to listen to cds oh yeah those things <laughs> um but yeah it was like the one cd that was in the car um and i would have to like go back home to chicago a lot from you know living in boston being in berkeley mm-hmm. and so that record was just always on and then i sort of started feeling like the kind of like harmonic things that they do are really like they have that like super deep emotional quality. Mm. Like, yeah, they're cool and they've got this like gritty sound sometimes. But I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, even their other records, like some of my favorite tracks are like, you know, Faust Arp, 
are like videotape, you know, they're like very emotionally charged songs. Yeah. And when I think of Radiohead now, it's like I much rather like pick and hold on to the songs that give me that feeling of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. There's parts of this song where it feels really triumphant and there's parts of this song that feel really um dreamy and mm. I think one of the things that I would do is just walk around the city and just have the song on repeat. It's like such a good yep. just like walking tempo too. And um there's just this quality about it that for me defined kind of like a block of years in I guess my mid to late twenties where I was just like in this really transitional phase. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I went from, you know, being a jazz musician to trying to be in this R&B hip hop scene as a producer and just, I don't know, like music is such a personal journey. And when you follow your trajectory in this, what you end up realizing is the only things that you really like hold on to is the authenticity in the quality of what you're bringing, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was just like, I don't feel genuine anymore just doing what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. During those few years, I kind of like reconnected with like Radiohead and a bunch of like different like indie music or rock music that I had kind of been neglecting. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm starting to find kind of my more authentic and genuine voice as a musician dare say an artist <laughs> whatever that means um but you know it's like i guess what i mean is i went from feeling the like trendiness and the hype of radiohead mm. to like i relate to these people who are making emotional music at the time and i want to yeah. remain genuine and authentic to that as well All I need is one that I always oh, am like I can't oh, remember yeah. the name. Oh, yeah. And they they have so many songs like that where you're like, it's so good. Why don't I listen to it all the time? And honestly, if you're looking at a band's entire catalog and you're just like, what is like the most like super high hit rate of percentage of great songs? Like Radiohead has to be in that conversation. Absolutely. Cause I can't think of a single Radiohead song, like truly, where I'm like, eh. <laughs> like, like it's just not it doesn't exist the other thing like you talked about harmony every not every radiohead but so many of them have these many like harmonic them, yeah. twists and turns mm -hmm. there's a subtle one in this track and i think it's right to get into the uh well one the intro has that nice chromatic line down that's really really cool but to get into the guitar solo i think you have your classic flat two major chord uh it's not even so much a guitar solo as it's just like awesome like shredding kind of line that turns into kind of some ear candy so i want to play that uh for us all to enjoy right now because it's just it's so good York understands feelings on a deeper level than the rest does. of us, I think. He does. I feel like he feels everyone's feelings. The orchestration <laughs> there, I think, is really beautiful, too. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a one one point where, like, the bass starts, like, going up, like, really high, yeah. and, and it almost, like, it, like, crosses uh -huh. like, the octave with, like, 
the guitar and the strings mm -hmm. but you don't like lose that like wholeness it's like oh yeah they're all yeah. going in i don't know yeah no yeah, absolutely really <laughs> if anything it like it feels more cohesive even though think even though certain instruments are behaving differently than we're used to hearing them like yeah. the doubles anytime anything doubles with a vocal oh yeah i'm in <laughs> oh yeah but but yeah to hear like independence from like the bass in places when the guitar is you know doing something a little more simple is always interesting to me too yeah yeah amazing pick jesse is there, is there anything else on uh nice dream that you'd like to touch on um i guess um off the top of my head, nothing really other than like, again, kind of talking about the hype and trend of certain artists and mm -hmm. certain yeah. groups and stuff. It's like, don't let anybody shame you for liking anything yeah. if at the time they seem, you know, way too popular or way too famous, especially now that I've like been able to kind of break away from my sort of um, like musical constraints that I've had on myself in the past. Mm. I just like kind of want to love and like everything no matter yeah. how poppy no matter how famous you know like every every artist doesn't have to be just some like tragic vilified <laughs> human being who doesn't get recognized until after you know they're gone it's like sometimes you can just listen to the radio and have a fun time you know yep. it's okay yeah. totally the three of yeah. us i think had to do some shedding of music school Cynicism. yeah oh, music yeah. school and it's oh, probably man. which mm -hmm. i'm i'm right there with you now jesse i think like certainly through college it was like aaron like and i still love aaron parks and i still yeah. love, like not to keep coming yeah, back to like nemesis but like <laughs> i still love that and it's okay but like i won't be so precious about my musical taste because your musical tastes aren't your identity you're that's just what you choose to listen to and what you it can help maybe serve to make who you are as a human being of course like all the art that you intake but like I don't think you need to wear it on like, this is what I'm listening to. Like, and that's going to make, cause, and that's what music school was for me for a lot of it right. was like, this is my identity. You find yourself. You know? Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think yeah. Radiohead's an interesting one though. Cause I feel like Radiohead and I'm sure there are people who disagree, but it's the only other band that I would put in a category with the Beatles in a lot of ways mm -hmm. were like huge, yeah. hugely popular, but I think they're going to hold up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. The band from, even like our high school era that like for sure when i'm 60 or whatever if yeah, if, if we make it that long <laughs> speaking of like yeah, not possibly explode. making it that long should we listen to our final selection <laughs> oh it for is the dark episode? that was a, that was a smooth transition yeah that was sick one <laughs> of my best job. not enough yeah. o's and smooth for that transition uh, you just wrecked it love of mine someday you will die but I'll be close behind They'll follow you into the dark No blinding light or tunnels This is a good song. Wide. We are listening to I Will Follow You Into the Dark by Death Cab for Cutie. Not by Dashboard Confessional, although I know that got in my head too earlier. <laughs> that, today I was like, yeah, what's the Dashboard song you did? Oh yeah, it's, it's not Dashboard. Totally but... different band, kind of. But this song, what experience do the two of you have with it? It, it's so awesome. We were just talking about like identity and music and listen. Cause like I was a kid in high school that when this song came on, I was like, Oh, like I don't want to <laughs> listen to this. I want to, I was listening to metal and like, that's all I was listening to. So I could not could possibly be caught listening to this thing. song. Yeah. And Dude, now I listen here. to it and, and I'm like, this is so beautiful. This is awesome. Like it's lyrically unbelievable. It is a good 
good song lyrically. I definitely feel you on that too, because as much as we just talked about like musical identity and not having people shame you for it, I had the weirdest musical upbringing. So when I was maybe like middle school to like sophomore year of high school, I was such a little like goth, like punk kid. (laughs) But my friends would be listening to stuff like, you know, Husker Du and like Dead Kennedys and say, what's all this like Blink 182? (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, so like this song is really beautiful, but the thing that I love so much especially just like the last 10 years of my life i guess is postal service which is oh yeah ben yeah, yeah. Also other band so i'm i'm not as familiar with death cab mm. but i am obsessed with postal service postal service was very ahead of their time in terms of just like we're going to collaborate over a great <laughs> over the just, post office. which i know which is amazing <laughs> that like literally doing that but like like nowadays can you, can collaborating you into that a little bit because for anybody that doesn't know it's such an awesome story of like how postal service went about their their business getting started yeah so, i mean yeah. literally the the mythos of it is that they sent all these is it cassette tapes or something like that back and forth I think in it the was mail cassettes. yeah because it was before you could transfer so yeah they just mailed demos to each other and and, and built tracks that amazing way. yeah but it was ben gibbard the lead singer and writer from this band and um jimmy tamborello Jenny Lewis was also involved, who's like the original cool girl for our generations. <laughs> this whole community of musicians was always really, really interesting to me. But Death Cab for Cutie, Ben Gibbard's oh, yeah. other band, uh, who... <laughs> Not just his other band, is like... His main actual main band. <laughs> yeah, this is like his thing. <laughs> this isn't his side project. This is his band. I, I do think that they fall in the same category for a lot of people as Dashboard Confessional and also um, bands like Yellow Card. Just mm-hmm. those like real sad boy pop punk bands. But a lot of them have really strong lyrics. Yeah. And this song yeah. is uh, amazing. So the reason I chose this song and the experience that I feel it defines is basically mortality. The entire human experience. I think the song for being such a dark, sad subject matter in some ways is really comforting in the way that like I don't I don't I know this isn't just me so but Carter's gonna make me feel like it's just me like if when you're laying in bed at night and you're struggling with the fact that like you're gonna die one day because you can't fall asleep and insomnia is doing that thing and then eventually you come to that place where you're like it's gonna be okay you just kind of accept your existence the song somehow manages to sum that entire thing up for me yeah and that's so complex for something that sounds so simple it makes it feel okay like it 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 deals with loss and in a way that uh yeah no i'm just kind of losing like i'm feeling sad i mean but it's it's not like it's sad it's not sad right no it's not but But it's it's like hopeful yeah it it is hopeful you know like you think Mm -hmm. about your own mortality at the end of it it's like you're just alone and, right. and you know alone in the in the universe like in, mm-hmm. in like the most alone you'll ever be <laughs> in your life is at the end yeah. of it and that that's really sad and and dark but like the beauty of it is literally we all go through it yeah yeah that's literally the collective yeah. experience exactly. if we want to divine an experience across the entire globe we're all gonna die one day and it's that's- birth yeah. and death and whatever happens in between and this song manages mm-hmm. to kind of sum that up in a way that isn't overly mm-hmm. tragic and yeah. i don't know how he did that well i know a little bit about how he did that in the song this is a song that is the furthest thing from being overproduced mm-hmm. i guess what happened is they were in the studio recording a different song for the album plans and they ran into some technical issues while he was doing his vocals so ben gibbard reached over and picked up his guitar and started playing this thing he wrote 
they heard him and they're like, that sounds pretty good. Let's do a quick take. So it was, I believe it was even recorded in mono through his vocal mic, just him and his guitar. So like, if you listen to the mix, his voice is a little hot and a little mm. too forward because that's where the mic is set up. <laughs> that's amazing. Love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind. I'll follow you into the dark. And I think that intimacy, the way you can hear him breathing, yeah. it's so perfect for this. Anything more would be insincere. It was born yeah. out of uh, an organic moment of, of spontaneity. Like that, that's really, really special. I, I didn't know that, so it kind of levels the the song up. Right, and it's cool to like do really heavy arrangements of stuff. And but sure. like it wouldn't be the same song, and it wouldn't hit. Uh, and it's well, been... there's a unique prosody to it, right? Like we talked about lyrical right. prosody, where lyrics match the thing that's happening in the song, and you get a little more meaning. But in this, like the recording process has the prosody of like you can't really prepare for death, you know, like. It's this thing that we're all just kind of headed towards and it's going to be what it's going to be. And the most comforting thing to me and a lot of people is the idea that you can find some companionship along the way. You and me have seen everything to see from Bangkok to Calgary and the soles of your shoes. Another interesting thing about it, so it was recorded, obviously, him by himself. There are no other performers on this. The song was nominated for a Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a duo or a group, which is kind of weird. Wow. Right? Just him and his guitar. That's true. That was the duo. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of weird. Um, the entire album follows a similar theme. I guess the name Plans came from that old how do you make God laugh joke by telling him your plans. Yeah. So kind of a, a dark, deep concept for the entire project. And this is this sweet, small moment in the middle of that album. I mean, I think this song is a beautiful choice, too, just because yeah, of it is. kind of collective trauma that we've been through globally, yeah. Yeah. You know, having to confront our mortality. And I, I mean, not to just like be so dark, but I think there is something really um, comforting, even if you are physically alone you're not like actually alone in the yeah. experience. Yeah. You're not actually alone in the fact that this is going to happen to you. And so if there's one thing to hold on to, just like, just remember that. Yeah. You're definitely not being too dark at all. That's just like the, the pandemic that's still going on is, is terrible. But like, I think in the wake of it, the mental health issues that, mm -hmm. that we're going to deal with are mm -hmm. huge and, and probably even longer lasting. Music like this, like it can help. I think it can absolutely help that, that that's a shared experience for sure. So, And the fact that there's nothing alienating about this song, even like musically speaking, right. like if you look at the chords, um, it's the pop progression for the most part. You got yeah. your one chord, your six minor, uh, your four and your five. And then... It's a little bit interesting. There's a four minor in there. I'm just saying this to do my due diligence and nerd out a little bit. But like it, it's a chord progression that most people who own a guitar can play. This song mm -hmm. feels good to sing. I've been singing it for the last couple of days just because you can't help it <laughs> if it's in your head. It's not an annoying melody, but it's really comfortable. There's just yeah. so many comforting little beautiful lines in here that even if you don't have the exact experience, some of these metaphors just like they hit you, you know, like Catholic school and somebody being like, fear is the heart of love. That idea of like, no, I, like it, it doesn't have to be that. In Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule, I got my knuckles bruised. 
by a lady in black And I held my tongue as she told me Son, fear is the heart of love So I never went back the song makes me want to cry, but it also mm-hmm. makes me feel okay about everything, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. Um, well, that that's the whole point of a song that defines an experience, right? Yeah. Like it brings you there, it like takes you oh, there. Totally. I think we had a hard time just like saying, like, well, what does definition mean? What does the definition yeah. of yeah. An experience mean? And it's well, it's like, it's something that culminates that feeling in you remembering that moment whether it's you have a nostalgic feeling about it or it's you know a painful memory or it's a joyful memory whatever it is it's like what culminated that experience and and what sort of feelings does it elicit in you now when you look back on it Mm. a song like this that's kind of all-encompassing different difficult feelings to process but at the same time has a comforting quality to it you know those are the songs that i mean i'm gonna assume that most people hold on to right like those Mm -hmm. are the songs that remain special to you and special in your memory because at the end of the day like being comforted is like what everybody really wants and is asking for absolutely yeah yeah there's an acceptance and a catharsis to this song because it is dealing with the ultimate unknown the unanswerable question of what comes next and it doesn't answer that but it it makes it okay that he doesn't have an answer like you're saying, Jesse, all these things we feel, he managed to put that into this one thing that we can all relate to enough. It's just this simple, beautiful thing that somehow taps into everything. I think that's part of the reason why it has been used in as many soundtracks as it has, um, mm-hmm. including uh, shows like Scrubs and Afterlife and the movie Crazy Stupid Love. It's also been covered quite a few times by artists like Amanda Palmer, Youngblood and Halsey. Amy Lee of Evanescence covered it on a Hello Kitty keyboard. Really? There's no one beside you when soul implies I follow you Your guys' other cousin, Amy Lee. <laughs> and your other other cousin, Jason Lee, the actor. Oh my God. Um, yeah. He didn't cover it, but this is the funny, uplifting fact for this segment about this like slightly but not really depressing song. Do you, do you ever see the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie? <laughs> the live action no, one? No, but uh, Jason, Lee is, yeah, Jason Lee is in it. front and center, and that is Dave. Yep. There's a scene where Dave attempts to pitch a song to um, a record producer played by David Cross. And um, it's before he knows the chipmunks are musical, I think. And he writes this song that I didn't realize at the time is um, very clearly a parody of I Will Follow You Into the Dark. My sweet love, if you die tonight, I'll wait on the other side to pull you through the abyss of death and no more signs across these faded lines wait on the other side to pull you I mean my sweet love if you die tonight I'll wait on the other side to pull you through pull the abyss of death this. then like <laughs> Ben Giver didn't do that which is like he managed to say that in a way that doesn't sound like that that's kind of amazing <laughs> Incredible. Beside you when your soul embarks, then I'll follow you into the dark. 
Jesse, this was awesome. I, you were such an awesome guest. Like, yeah, super prepared, super dialed in, often. amazing picks, <laughs> and uh, phenomenal. So, like, what? I mean, again, my favorite part of this show always is just like, what are you up to these days? Please take this opportunity to share anything you want uh, with our listeners, with our audience, um, because you're an incredibly talented individual. And again, this was so fun. I'm so glad we got to oh, do this. Thanks, and thanks again Carter. for joining thanks, us. Mahaya. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess um, I have I, I have a couple releases that I'd like to do this year. Um, I'm taking my time on it. But nice. when they happen, they'll happen. I also, I guess everybody sort of started in the pandemic having other interests and hobbies outside <laughs> of music. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of uh, embroidery crochet nice. macrame yeah a lot of stuff like that and i'm you know i i don't want to say that like I've, I've totally closed the door on music but i you know was like fairly recently within the last year or so was like you know i i think i need to stop pursuing music mm-hmm. as a career mm-hmm. but you know that's okay that's a valid choice absolutely yeah, it is I feel like i i'd rather i'd rather do that now and then have the option to return yeah. If, you know, I want to. And then, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. But, um, yeah, you can, like, find my stuff on most platforms. And, yeah, I think I'm going to have two singles and then, like, a sh- little secret EP come out this year. So Ooh. I guess it's no longer secret. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know your favorite songs that defined an experience. So as always, there's a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us spread the word. And if you're looking to level up any of your musical abilities, head to soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. A huge thank you to Jesse Lee for joining us on this episode and for coming up with the fantastic theme and we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme